Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. We know the Liberal Party got smashed at the election. They lost 18 seats, which has taken the party to the lowest proportion of seats since 1946. So how exactly is it going to change? Yeah, in our briefing in this episode, we're going to speak to someone who could be the future of the Liberal Party, the New South Wales president of the Young Liberals. On election day, we received a last minute text about the unauthorised vessels being intercepted. It was cheap, it was disingenuous, and it was not something that should have been paraded around for votes. We can do better than that. That is Dee Wu. She gives a brutally honest assessment of where Scott Morrison and his government went wrong and also what the Liberal Party needs to do now to win voters back. There was probably too much politicking and not enough substance on the policies that actually improve people's lives. As much as politicians would like to believe that voters are disengaged, they still see through the slogans and the scaremongering. It is Friday, June 3. Welcome to The Briefing. Here are today's headlines. Celebrations in the UK as the Queen's Platinum Jubilee kicks off. She's celebrating 70 years on the throne. That is a very long time. Also celebrations across the Commonwealth too. Yeah, so using a walking stick, the 96-year-old monarch stepped out onto the balcony of Buckingham Palace alongside most of her family. Um, Prince Andrew wasn't to be seen and Harry and Meghan were inside apparently because they're not senior royals anymore. The rest of the family stood there watching a fly past. Princess Louis told the show though, he was covering his ears. How cute. He didn't like that. It would be pretty intense for a small kid to see the Air Force just zoom over the balcony. Um, I did mention there were also some celebrations in Commonwealth countries or at least recognition here in Australia. Our Prime Minister uh, joined a whole bunch of world leaders in paying tribute to the Queen. He lit one of 1,500 beacons that were commemorating her reign. In her seven remarkable decades on the throne, the Queen has been a rare constant, an enduring inspiring, growing presence of calm, decency and strength. There you go, a little tribute from Anthony Albanese. I do note, Jan, that it comes in the same week that he's appointed a Minister for the Republic. It's a bit of a funny one, isn't it? It's like, yeah, congratulations, Queen. We'd like you not to be our head of state at some point. That's sort of what the messaging is, isn't it? Yeah, I think Um, so. There's been landmarks across Australia, though, like the Opera House that have been, you know, lit up purple also to mark the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. She still is our head of state and, and probably will be um, for quite some time. And it's, it's remarkable that she's been on the throne for 70 years. The next British monarch was, I think, Queen Victoria, and she was on the throne for 63 years. So surpassed her by seven years. Not a bad run, Liz. And Australia's heading for an energy shortage that could be the worst crisis we've had in decades. And this comes from the recent cold snap, outages of coal-fired power plants and the war in Ukraine, which have triggered energy price increases, forcing some smaller electricity retailers to stop operating. Yeah, so there have been some gas users that are paying 80 times the normal price um, and the manufacturing sector in particular says it's feeling the pain very acutely and that could put thousands of jobs at risk. Now, the federal government says all options are on the table here in terms of how to tackle this, including limiting our gas exports. I rule nothing in and nothing out, but it will be done carefully, methodically and based on expert advice. That was the new Energy Minister, Chris Bowen, there. He'll be uh, holding a crisis meeting next week. And Foreign Minister Penny Wong's second Pacific trip 
does appear to be paying off. She is currently in Samoa, where the island country has welcomed Australia's policy shift on climate change. Yeah, and they've been able to forge a new eight-year partnership aimed at addressing human development and social inclusion. And during a joint press conference with Penny Wong, Samoa's Prime Minister hit back at China for trying to rush through the Security and Trade Pact earlier this week. You cannot have regional agreement when the region hasn't met to discuss it. I think it was a very wise intervention. Yeah, meanwhile, China's uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi is coming to the end of his Pacific tour. He's visiting eight countries in 10 days. Uh, He's currently in Papua New Guinea. And lawyers for Amber Heard have confirmed they're planning an appeal against the verdict in the Johnny Depp defamation suit. Yeah, that's right. So a spokesman um, for Heard claims that she also may try to bring some fresh evidence that was not admitted into the initial trial. Now, yesterday the trial ended with jurors finding that both Depp and Heard were liable for defamation. They did award the lion's share of damages to Johnny Depp, though, $10 million to him and $2 million to Amber Heard. And there was just commentary up the wazoo on social media yesterday. Tom, I don't know if you saw it. Mm. I was trying to sift through it, and I think my brain had a small meltdown. Well, yeah, it's been seeing as, I guess, a... A reflection on on how much the Me Too movement um, achieved, where you know someone speaking out about abuse, how their account is treated in in the public debate. You know, it was very interesting to note that, that this U.S. court came to a different verdict to the U.K. court two years ago in that libel case you know, involving the Sun. But yeah, very complex, and I guess people are commenting on the power dynamics given he he has you know, such a long career and so much popularity and the way that uh, the support for him around the case has affected public opinion. Yeah, well, Amber Heard's lawyer was out yesterday talking about how she called the trial, quote, unquote, a zoo and said that, of course, jurors were instructed not to look at social media or the media coverage, but it was almost inescapable because they got to go home to their families. There was a 10-day recess in between and it was just everywhere. So that was one of the things that she brought up for why they would have some grounds to appeal. And speaking of the Me Too movement, a New York appeals court has upheld Harvey Weinstein's 2020 conviction on rape and sexual assault charges overnight. Weinstein had claimed the judge in the landmark trial had prejudiced him by allowing women to testify about allegations that were not part of the criminal case. Yeah, so the five-judge panel issued the unanimous ruling to deny Weinstein's bid for an appeal. Now, he is serving a 23-year sentence for raping an aspiring actress and sexually abusing a TV and film production assistant. All right, in just a moment, we're going to speak to the next generation of the Liberal Party. Our policies will be squarely aimed at the forgotten Australians in the suburbs across regional Australia, the families and small businesses whose lot the Labor Party will have made more difficult. That was Peter Dutton there in his first speech to the Australian people as opposition leader. He was talking about the direction that he plans to take the Liberal Party. Now, it doesn't sound like a huge departure from the Morrison government and his rhetoric on quiet Australians or the Menzies government, for that matter. Yeah, it was Menzies who coined the phrase the forgotten people. 
Earlier in the week here on The Briefing, we spoke to ousted Liberal MP Dave Sharma and got his post-mortem on the election loss. Now we want to um, skip a generation down and talk to the next generation of Liberal Party pollies, the young Liberals. This is where a lot of Liberal Party politicians end up graduating from. D.E. Wu is the president of the New South Wales Young Liberals. D.E., thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. Before we just get into all of it, tell us who are the Young Liberals exactly? So we're aged between 16 to 30. Uh, we are the largest centre-right youth movement in Australia. And what we subscribe to is uh, small government, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, individual responsibility and conservative principles, as well as more progressive principles. We are a broad church. Okay. So let's talk about election night. From that kind of young Liberals perspective, where do you think it all went wrong for the Liberal Party? From our point of view, we think that there was probably too much politicking and not enough substance on the policies that actually improve people's lives. As much as politicians would like to believe that voters are disengaged, they still see through the slogans and the scaremongering. For example, On election day, we received a last minute text about the unauthorised vessels being intercepted. And I actually received it while I was campaigning. And I just thought to myself, it was cheap, it was disingenuous, and it was not something that should have been paraded around for votes. You know, we can do better than that. Another issue that we could have not done was the anti-transgender sentiment as a campaign platform for one of the candidates. Firstly, as a matter of principle, we shouldn't do it because it's divisive and targets communities that are already marginalised. If people wanted to have that conversation about trans women in sport, you can do it outside of an election. You can do it through the proper channels, with the proper consultation process from the right people. And then also, I think most Australians are not voting based on culture wars. You know, when you've got a list as long as inflation at 5%, rising interest rates, national shortage of labour, wage stagnation, unaffordable housing, culture wars fall very far down that list. So people voted us in initially because we are the ones that are meant to be good at economic management and fiscal responsibility. And we need to go back to those issues, not these social wedge issues. Okay. So that seemed to be a hallmark of Morrison's leadership style, these social wedge issues. Is that how how you saw it? I mean, in the case of Catherine Deves, he handpicked her as a candidate. Do you think that was a deliberate strategy to try and open up a culture war or, you know, drive that wedge politic um, strategy? It may have been, but would that have been useful in Warringah? I don't think so. I think that was quite a poor pick on his behalf. And I don't know where his head was at when he was thinking that'd be a great candidate for the seat of Warringah. People in Ringa, they voted Zali and clearly they're worried about climate change. That's one of their biggest issues. So someone who, you know, wasn't campaigning on climate change really missed out. Scott Morrison seemed to make some mistakes on that particular example, but he also seemed to put, you know, most of his eggs in the economic management basket, that that would be enough to win over middle Australia. And it, it seemed to be a view that most Australians only care about their hip pocket, that the broader issues like climate change or gender equality weren't important enough for him to take a strong stand on. I think in his mind, he probably thought that he had liberal economic values that he was putting forward. But from our perspective at a young liberal level, I know that a lot of the spending that occurred over the past three years really alienated and disillusioned some of our younger branch members because We're a party of liberal values of small government, fiscal responsibility, social policies that provide people opportunity, 
uh, and dignity and environmental policies, contrary to popular opinion, that maintain quality of life for future generations. You know, that's the Liberal Party that I and many others signed up for. And we were starting to see our party outcompete and try to outspend Labor on certain issues, but not actually address bigger issues that were probably too hard or required cross-collaboration with the states. Dee, when you talk about outspending Labor in the last three years, one of the massive things that's happened, obviously, in the last two years has been the pandemic. And so there had to have been a ramp up of spending. Do you think that they were erroneous to spend as much as what they did to try and curb some of the side effects of the pandemic in the last two years? I definitely think, you know, we've got to concede that there was a pandemic and the support packages by the government definitely assisted a lot of people. Uh, including my own family. My mum, she worked in the uh, aviation industry or a subset of it, and she still hasn't gone back to work. But that job seeker or job keeper definitely helped at the time. Um, and a lot of small business, a lot of medium business also survived because of it. So we we are appreciative of the government's efforts and we understand probably at that time you couldn't be the small government even if you wanted to. You, you couldn't limit the spending even if you wanted to. You know, looking at the budget that was of this year with the $250 cash handout, that was probably pretty illiberal. It didn't achieve anything. It was not a stimulus in the sense that it could actually create enormous effect in the economy. And it was essentially buying votes, which we think we should be better than that. Um, And we should offer people the value proposition of why we need to pay down debt, not to continuously add to it. So the sweep of Teal independents were all women, apart from David Pocock in the Senate. So do you accept that the Liberal Party has a woman problem, that they they didn't appeal enough to female voters? I think the government had an issue with making policies that appealed to women. You know, for example, childcare. That is a clear issue that can unite people rather than divide people. You unite people across the political spectrum. Right now, we have a situation where women with bachelor's, master's degrees are not working, they're staying home or they're underemployed. And especially during a national labour shortage, we can't afford to do that. But they can't put their children into childcare five days a week because it's too expensive. So that's one of the issues that the party could have quickly realised that, okay, we may not have enough policies for this demographic, but, you know, we can resolve it right now, right here. Mm. So we should have made childcare a broader issue rather than just a, a women's issue. Well, that's what Labor did. Yeah, and um, and that's why they're in government probably. <laughs> I'm a teeny bit confused because on, on the one hand, I think you say, you know, we don't want to be outspending Labor because we can't play that game because we're going to lose that game. But on the instance of childcare, you should be outspending Labor, just to clarify? No. So I think people think certain issues are left and right. I don't think childcare is a, is a left issue and you need to outspend in order to outcompete with labour. Where left and right do come in is on how you implement it. For example, do you increase the subsidies, which is probably what, you know, a labour-leading government would do? Or, you know, there's another, lots of other proposals on the market. For example, UNSW, they have a proposal to allow households to either choose between their current rebate arrangement or receive a tax deduction for childcare expenditures up to 60k a year. So that policy would recognise childcare as a legitimate work-related tax deduction, because if you're working, it is a work-related tax deduction, and it would increase the female labour workforce participation, reduce the gender gap and boost productivity. So as a centre-right government, 
we would frame it in those terms. I don't agree that you need to just throw money at a problem. And that's where our liberal values come in, in that we can be innovative in how we address these issues. We don't need to do it in the same way that Labor does. Well, Dee, you're giving a pretty honest assessment here of um, your own side of politics. I mean, you said they should have done more on climate change, that they didn't really court the female vote properly, um, that Scott Morrison played wedge politics and made mistakes with the culture wars. Um, So I'm interested to know what you think of the new leader, Peter Dutton. I guess he's sort of trying to make a call back to core Liberal Party values as he sees them. So are you getting any sense from him that he's learnt the lessons from the election loss? I think this is another classic case of um, people judging a certain leader's, um, you know, style before they've actually started. And I I think people need to just relax, wait, let him do his job because I have interacted with Peter Dutton. He's a very decent man. I think he's a man of integrity and he's actually quite upstanding. Peter Dutton is very respected. His staff, he's got both progressive and conservative, but from a external perspective, I think there's a different perspective because he's had to be defence minister, home affairs minister over the past six years. And he's had to be the big bad wolf because somebody in every government has to play that role. But I think now in the leadership position, I think that he can bring our party back to the liberal values. And I don't think that the issues that he raised are necessarily more right. And people are getting lost in this debate of, or this dichotomy of, are we going more left? Are we going more right? What do we do? One thing, we need to stop chasing fringe right parties for votes, and we need to move towards issues that actually affect the majority of Australians. Because if you can address those issues, housing affordability, climate change, tax reform, paying back down debt, you will naturally get the votes. You don't need to politicise these issues. You can make right-wing policies to address these issues, But I think people right now, they just want their government to do their job, address these issues in good faith, and that's what will reduce social and economic inequality over the long term. Okay, let's just fast forward to election 2025. What's your hope for what the Liberal Party looks like in three years? I would hope that the issue of housing affordability has begun in terms of an alternative policy to Labor. For example, Labor's housing policy would have been up to 10,000 places, it's capped at 10,000, and it would have been up to 40% government owned. I hope that we can continue to offer the housing policy that we we did before the election, which is that you can access your super, it'll be 100% owned by you, it's unlimited places. So offering a point of difference to Labor's policies in housing affordability, in childcare, on reducing emissions and decarbonisation, we need to have a concrete plan, not a puff piece. We need to have a concrete plan of exactly what you'll be doing with what technology by what time. Because I think if people see that we do have a plan, we do have policies that are liberal, our base will come back. The female vote will come back because we're addressing the issues that matter to them, whether it's young women in housing affordability, whether it's childcare for women who have parental responsibilities, or whether it's economic policy, paying down the debt because they'll be paying it in the future. I think we need to stop using words that are inflammatory and divisive. We are moving towards a level of greater respect in Australian politics, and I hope that stays. And if Anthony Albanese and Peter Dutton's working relationship works well, there is a level of bipartisan already in terms of the personal relationship. And I want to see the 
policies have a bipartisan agreement and broader discussion, broader policy debates rather than politicking. That was D.E. Wu, the president of the New South Wales Young Liberals. Pretty blunt assessment there of where the Liberal Party went wrong. Yeah, I think she'd been holding some of that in for quite a while. And now it's time to speak out and I guess join the conversation about where to go next. And it really sounds like from the substance of what she was saying, she really didn't like the direction that Scott Morrison took the Liberal Party. Um, She talked about the wedge politicking on social issues like transgender women in sport the lack of policies like childcare that actually help women um, and a lack of substantial climate change policy. And these are all hallmarks of Morrison's failures. Yeah, I guess the question is, and I know she sounded, I won't say optimistic, but I think she sounded at least certainly willing to give Peter Dutton a chance as the new Liberal leader. But it would be interesting to see if he does move away from those wedge politics and, um, you know, getting drawn into culture war issues. All right, that is it for your Monday to Friday briefing. Jamila Rizvi will be with you tomorrow for the weekend briefing, jumping into your feed with another big interview. Who have you got on this week, Jamila? I don't even know how to start telling you about how remarkable Daniel and Luke Mancuso, two brothers who live in Melbourne's north, are. They are my guests on the weekend briefing this Saturday. Their beautiful mum, Teresa, was killed by their father, Paulino. He is now in prison. And these two young men have moved back into the family home and reconnected with their Greek neighbour Nina. Nina, or Yaya, as she's known to Luke and Daniel, insists that the boys are too skinny and she knows that they have experienced untold tragedy, which is part of the reason that for the last eight years she's been passing home-cooked meals to them over the fence. Their relationship has spawned a beautiful, heartwarming Instagram and is now a cookbook. This is such a beautiful story and one I'm really proud to share on the Weekend Briefing. All right, looking forward to that. Hope you have an amazing weekend. Thank you for listening to The Briefing. Uh, If you enjoy it, tell your friends about it, um, post about it on social media, help us spread the word. We'll catch you Monday. Listener.